Hey, good morning, everyone. Hey, if you're in love with Jesus, let me hear you say, yeah. yeah. I love you. Hey, welcome to Eastgate Church. Everyone watching online, thank you so much for tuning in today. Hope you stay with us through the whole message. If you would, just pause for a second and hit the like button and hit the share button to help us get the message out there so we can reach as many people as possible. Guys, I'm so glad that y'all are here today. Last week before school starts back, which if you're a student, I know that's really bad news. And if you're a parent, that's probably really great news. Uh, I know we got a lot of people trying to sneak in that last week of vacation, but I see some people that are back from vacation, so welcome back. Uh, if you're a guest, make yourself at home, kick your shoes off, and relax your family now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hey, we're at the last week now of this series that we've been doing on the life of Paul. And... I tell you, if it's blessed you as much as it's blessed me preparing for the majority of these messages, I'm telling you, man, God has really been speaking to me through this series. And uh, like my grandma used to say, he's been all up in my kitchen, uh, challenging me and growing me and helping me to uh, take that next step in my walk with God. You do realize that your pastor is growing while you're growing. God's challenging me, and I'm growing and, and staying in step with him and trying to be everything that I can be for, for his kingdom and put a smile on his face. And we're in this last week, this series on the life of Paul. And uh, I tell you, if you pick any theme to uh, just kind of encapsulate his life, I, I mean, there's a few of them. Endurance, perseverance would be one. I think grace would be another one. When you look at the life of Paul, he's a guy that lived in tremendous grace, especially if you look at who he was before Jesus did the work in him that he did in him, you know. And, and, and it's not like he had a bad life before he met Jesus. You know, before he was, met Jesus, his, he was called Saul, changed his name afterwards. Um, but when Paul was growing up, he grew up in a house that was, had money. They had money. They were well-to-do. Um, his parents were wealthy. They sent him to the best schools. He got the best education and studied under the best minds that they could find for him to study under. Uh, he had a great education that led to a great career. He had the path set and cleared out for him to become uh, one of the chief Pharisees in the church. He had it going on. He knew the law. He was very religious. He was very strict. He said he was very zealous for the law out of his own pen as he wrote to encourage others, a Pharisee of Pharisees, you know, and he attacked the church with the same passion that he loved the law and tried to eradicate it. He saw Jesus as a cult leader and as a heretic, and he saw the church as the members of that cult. And then he had an encounter with real Jesus. Y'all know what I mean when I say real Jesus, right? Not religion, not an organization, not tradition and not opinion or an institution. He had an encounter with real Jesus, and it shook him to his core. You know, when you meet Jesus real, it changes everything, doesn't it? It changed everything in his life, and from that moment on, he devoted himself to Jesus. He devoted himself to the preaching of the gospel and to doing everything that God had called him to do. He went from destroying the church to being on the forefront of building the church and launching people out to reach other people. He had a huge change in his life. It's the biggest 180 that you're going to see in Scripture. And he taught us that every saint has a past. You know, you got a past, right? We've all got those before Christ days. But he also showed us that every sinner has a future in Jesus. 
we all have that hope of salvation and we all have that hope of transformation as we grow in our relationship with God as he's changing us from the inside out. Paul was a special guy. And he accomplished so much in his ministry. You know, he's writing to this guy, Timothy, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, which is what we're going to be looking at today. And, and he's expressing the, how grateful he is to the, to, for the grace of God and what God's done in his life. Paul... He, he planted, we know for sure, 14 churches. And probably he planted 20. It's probably closer to the real number, but we know bulletproof for sure he planted 14 churches. He started 14 churches through his ministry. Maybe as many as 20. You know, and this guy did it in the face of so much adversity, so much challenge, you know, being whipped, being beaten with rods, standing trial, being thrown in jail, run out of town on several occasions, shipwrecked, marooned. Like anything you could think of, Paul had walked through it. He even died at one point, and God brought him back to life. And he went back in the city and started preaching the word of God. If you don't believe me, check it out. It's in the book of Acts. It's one of the wildest things I've ever read in my life. That's how committed he was to doing what God called him to do. His life was a life where he built a legacy every day. 14 churches, he wrote, he wrote 13, we know for sure, 13 of the books that we read in the New Testament. Maybe a couple of more, we don't really know for sure, but 13 for sure that he wrote. And now, he's writing this guy, Timothy, in the book of 2 Timothy, in chapter 4 is where we're going to pick up and what is probably one of the most emotional chapters that he's ever had to write because it is the last chapter that Paul is ever going to write in his life. Paul finds himself in a, di a different season of life here. You know, he's went from his conversion to accomplishing so much for the kingdom of God, and shipwrecked, and then found himself in prison that we talked about last week. And he had two years of just nonstop, peaceful ministry where nobody did anything to hinder him or interfere with it. It was so fruitful, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament during those two years. But this isn't that time anymore. Um, there's a guy named Nero, who's emperor of Rome now. And if you don't know who Nero is, I'm going to show you a picture of him. He kind of looks like this. This is a statue and then a recreation of that statue to show what he may have looked like. This guy was one of the most evil people to ever walk the face of the earth. I'm telling you, Hitler has nothing on this guy. This guy blows Hitler out of the water. This guy, what he did to the church and others was unbelievable. This is the guy in power, and he makes this move in persecution against the church, and he's capturing of really doing the work that Paul left off on capturing Christians because he sees them as a threat to the kingdom because the early church was so passionate in what they were doing. Guys, they were literally changing the culture of Rome by sharing the love of Jesus. And Nero wanted to stomp that out, and so he went at them with all that he had. And They would go into people's homes and drag them out and throw them in prison. He would execute Christians by the hundreds and by the thousands they would have these competitions in the Colosseum in Rome, and Nero would use Christians. He would dip them in tar, 
and either impale them or tie them to a post and light them on fire and use them to light the Roman Colosseum at night while they were having their sports. How many torches do you think it would take to light up a Roman Colosseum? Every night a competition on display, sending a message. If you follow Jesus, this is going to happen to you. And they, He would execute Christians at the drop of a hat and they would be beheaded and they would be filleted, and not to be too graphic, but he would torture them before killing them. And He put them in the Colosseum for sports for everybody else and they would have the, the gladiators come out and just slaughter Christians and they would have whole families that they would bring in together, mothers, fathers, and children, and they would stand together and be mowed down by the gladiator swords, and they would stand sometimes tied up to posts, and they would turn wild animals loose and lions. Y'all seen the stuff in the movies, lions and tigers, and they would turn those things loose, and wild dogs even, and they would just rip the Christians to pieces for a spectacle. That's how messed up Nero was. And they would stake them down to the ground and open them up in their midsection, stuff them full of oats and corn and leave them pinned there and turn loose wild hogs and let the hogs do their work. This is the kind of stuff that he would do. Now I know that's a little graphic. Having You probably are still sipping on your second or third cup of coffee this morning. I get it. That's a little bit heavy. But I don't want us to be ignorant of what the people that have gone before us have done to pay the price and paved the way for you and me to be here today doing what we're doing. They paid a high price for that. And this guy makes a move and arrests Paul. And this time Paul stands trial and he's not released. He's sentenced to death. And a lot of scholars really think that while Paul was writing this last chapter in the book of 2 Timothy, he knew that he was really just days away, probably literally days away from being executed. He was going to be beheaded. They were going to cut his head off, which really was kind of a merciful killing given everything that Nero was doing. And well, Paul sits down and he writes this last chapter that he's ever going to write. And he chooses to send it to his protege, this guy named Timothy, who he's led to the Lord and prayed over and discipled and built up. And he's, he's pouring his last moments into this guy that he wants to pick up the torch and, and move on. And I was thinking about this, and this is, I know this is a big question. This is a big question, but if, if, you, if, if you knew that you were about to die, what would you write in your final chapter? Like if you knew you were days away, and you were going to write your final chapter, what would you write? This is the dilemma that, that Paul's facing right here. You know, what, what would you write? I, I was preparing for this, and I asked myself, what would I write? What would I say? Who would I encourage? What would those last words be about? You know, would I, would I, would I tell my family that I loved them? Would I encourage people in the church? Would I drop some nugget of wisdom? What would you do? Would you say, avoid this? Or would you say, give your life wholeheartedly to that? Would you say, don't make the mistakes that I made? What would you write in that last chapter? And this is what Paul's doing. You know, I found out in pastoral ministry over the years that what people would write in this last chapter and how we live today really doesn't line up with each other. Like, in the moment when we're thinking about 
the finality of death, and we, we, we get a little sober and we get a little more clear-minded and focused on it, like I'm trying to get you to focus on this right now, and we think about the priorities and what is actually important, but when we're living our day-to-day lives, the reality is most of us are very far away from what we would write in that last chapter and say is important. We tend to be scattered and focused on things that don't, and that don't really matter, and Paul's writing this chapter to Timothy to kind of give him some focus to give him some pointers and give him some reminders. And he's writing this as a last-ditch effort to get what really matters into the heart of somebody that's going to carry on and make a difference. And I think, in a way, he writes beyond where Timothy is and is writing to us today because I think the Word of God applies to us today, too. Amen? So, 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. I want to navigate through this chapter and just talk a little bit about some of these powerful things that Paul is expressing as he writes under the inspiration and guidance of the Holy Spirit. He says, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. I love this because Paul starts the whole thing out from the perspective of eternity. He was focused on eternity. He says, in, in, in view of what's happening, in view of God and in Christ Jesus, and in view of the judgment that's going to come, and in, in, in view of Jesus' reappearance and the coming of his kingdom, I want you to pay attention to the stuff that I'm about to say. It's focused on eternity. And on too many times I think we're focused on what's happening today, and we don't give enough thought to what's going to happen in eternity. I mean, really, when was the last time you sat down and thought, I wonder what I'm going to be doing in eternity? You're probably thinking, I got this bill to pay. I got to get kids here. I got this practice. I got this to do at work. And that's because we all have to be responsible with our day-to-day life. But I'm here to remind you, like Paul is reminding Timothy, hey, there's something beyond this thing that we call life. Russell, if you would, come help me for a second. I love Russell. Russell serves on our uh, security and ushers ministry. Let's show Russell a little bit of love as he comes up here today. Russell's awesome. You know, this life is a lot shorter than we think it is. Some of you that are a little more mature in age can attest to that. Amen? And I feel like I can say, I blinked, and suddenly I had a wife and two kids, and I blinked, and suddenly things hurt on me that didn't used to hurt on me, and I don't understand that, you know? How do you get hurt getting out of bed? That's what I want to know. That happened to me one time, and I don't get that. I don't get it. You know, you blink, and it just blows by, but I think in a way, and I know this is true, um, if you look at it with the right perspective, eternity is more real than the life that we're living right now on this earth. And I'll show you why. Russell, if you will take this roll of rope and just walk to the edge of the stage over there, off the stage, to the wall, and just keep going. Up, up, up. You got to be ready. You got to be ready. In life, sometimes things try to get out of control, but you can bring it all back in. Now, we got this rope stretched out pretty long here, and I hope you guys can see this on camera. Long rope representing eternity. And then you got this little section of rope right here that I've wrapped in black tape, just so you can see it. This little section of black tape is your life. This is your life. 
all of eternity stretching out. If Russell had enough rope, he could go down that wall, out the doors, out the doors of the church, down the road, and just keep walking off the planet to the edge of the universe and then keep on going because eternity doesn't end. It doesn't end. And we focus on the reality of what's happening right here so many times. And what Paul is, is, is saying at the beginning of this chapter is, hey, 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 keep things in perspective. Everything else I'm about to say to you has got to come from the foundation of an eternal perspective. And I know what you're thinking, Pastor Josh, I'm going to live to be 100 I got a lot of years left to me in life, in this life. Okay, well, here's your 100 years, and that's eternity. I'm going to live to be 120. Hey, you are the man or you are the woman. Go for it. Here's your 120 years, and that's eternity. Everything we do in this life is going to, it's going to determine where we spend the rest of that. Eternity is more real than the life that we are living right now. The Bible says what we're living is, is a mist. It's a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. But eternity doesn't end. Paul's encouraging Timothy. He's like, look, 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 look. Nothing else matters but this. And everything in this has to build for that. So everything that I'm going to say to you, take your eyes off of this and look at it through the lens of eternity because that's what matters the most. Because if you don't look past this to that, this right here will block your vision. It'll block your vision and you'll get caught up with the distractions and the hindrances and the battles and the fights and the good times and the bad times and having the money and not having the money. You'll get caught up in this and you'll be chasing things here not knowing that there is a clock out there somewhere that is winding down. And eternity is about to begin for you and what you're living for today is going to determine all of that. We're going to do a little jump rope right here. That worked out great. Now, I'm going to lay this here at the altar. You can lay that down, Russell. Now, I want you guys to look at that. Off and on throughout the sermon, if you can see it, and you guys at home, if he shows up in the shot, pay attention to that. Why do you say that, Pastor Josh? Because, listen, I have had the privilege of ministering to a lot of people, and sometimes you get the opportunity to go in and pray with people before they transition from this life to the next, and they step out into eternity. And I prayed with people days before they were going to pass, and I've been in the hospital room standing with family when their loved ones passed from this life to the next. And, and all my conversations with all those people looking at the end of their life, because you know we're all going to be looking at the end of this life sooner or later. Unless Jesus comes back. I hope he comes back this afternoon. That'd be awesome. Why? Because I'm tired of paying taxes. I'm tired of going to work. I'm tired of all this stuff, man. Be a little bit selfish for real, though. You know, I'm tired of trying to get in shape. I just want Jesus to rapture my little out-of-shape butt on up into heaven so I can have that heavenly body. That'd be awesome. 2% body fat, 6 foot 5. It's going to be awesome. I want that. But barring that, we're all going to make that transition. And even then, this life ends and we're with Jesus and we're in eternity. You know, I never heard those people say, I wish I would have worked more. Never heard those people say, I wish I would have handled more business in the life that I had. 
Never heard him say, I wish I would have spent more time away from family. You always hear him say, what I regret is that I didn't spend enough time with my kids before they were too old. I wish I would have spent more time with my spouse, a few more sunsets and sunrises with them. I wish I would have told my family that I loved them more. I wish I would have worried less and worshipped more and just trusted God to handle the issues in my life. You know, Never heard somebody fixing to step into eternity say, I wish I would have skipped church more. I wish I would have had more projects at the house to distract me and keep me away from the house of God. I wish I would have left the services early more and skipped the altar call. I, you don't hear them say that. You always hear them say, I wish I would have worshipped more. I wish I would have been in the house of God more so that I could have grown into the person that God called me to be. I wish I would have spent more time in the word of God. I wish I had done more with this life so that when I enter into eternity, I could have heard my father say, come on in, good and faithful servant, and not, I'm so glad you made it in by the skin of your teeth. Eternity makes a big, big difference. And I know even with me saying this to you right now, you know, like I know how I was at one season in my life. It didn't matter what you said to me. It was just going to bounce off of me. And maybe you're watching right now because you stumbled on this video or you're here today and that's kind of bouncing off of you. And I'm not trying to make a dent. I'm trying to be obedient and share what God has put on my heart. But I had this guy I was reaching out to and trying to mentor had led him to the Lord. He got saved in one of our services, so I was pouring into his life, and he was having trouble finding consistency in his walk with God. You guys ever been there? I know I have. It's consistency with like reading his Bible and, and, and being in church regularly, and, and his struggle really more than anything was separating himself from old friends to the point where they didn't influence him back into the lifestyle that Jesus had saved him from. And so he kept dipping back into that, and I kept ministering to him and helping him grow. And listen, you got to help people grow. It does no good to beat somebody over the head with a sledgehammer because they mess up. We're here to encourage each other to grow closer to Jesus. Amen? So working with this guy and encouraging him, and, and uh, remember, he'd been out of church for a while, and just kept inviting the guy and inviting the guy and inviting the guy. And look, you got a pastor that invites people. I believe this stuff. I live this stuff. There's not a week that goes by where I'm not inviting somewhere between 10 and 30 people to service. Some of you guys are sick of me following up on you when you're not in service because here comes the messages, here comes the text, here comes the emails, and like the phone calls. I'm after you. I want people to grow in their walk with God. And I got him to commit to coming to service that Sunday, and I'm so excited. He told his family he was going to be in church, and he... Uh, had actually invited a couple of friends to come with him that day, but he decided just to go out one more time on Saturday. And then he was going to come in on Sunday and get it right and make his final decision for Jesus then. You know, we get in trouble when we say, I'll do it tomorrow instead of I'll do it today. That's what happened to him. He never made it home that night. Head-on collision took him out of this world. I remember looking at that empty seat on Sunday morning because I got the call about 3, 3.30 in the morning. He'd been in an accident. He died on the scene. Gone. He was going to get it right the next day, you see. We don't know. And I'm not trying to scare you or go old school. You never know 
when your last breath might be, but you never know when your last breath might be. You don't know when those moments are. Then you're in eternity. And that little sliver of black tape ends. Guys, listen, it's important. It's important. And that's why I spent so much time on this this morning. It's important for us to look at life with an eternal perspective. Tomorrow's not promised to any of us. Amen? Live your life for tomorrow. So Paul was focused on eternity, and he's getting this point across to Timothy. Hey, I'm going to go big picture first. And in view of this big picture in eternity, here's what I want you to do, Timothy. In verse 2, he says, Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct rebuke and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. He says, preach the word. Then he says, be prepared in season and out of season. Be prepared when you need to be and be prepared when you feel like you don't need to be. What he's saying is, hey, hey, Timothy, be ready. Be ready. That's what he's saying. Be ready. Be ready. Why? Because eternity is out there. And you don't have any time to waste, son, I'm telling you. Be ready for the moments when the moments present themselves. Don't waste a day. Be ready. In season and out of season. To do what God has called you to do. Y'all remember when the Olympics came to Beijing? Like, several years ago? Summer Olympics came? Beijing went nuts over this because they finally had gotten the Olympics to come to their city. And so what they did was they decided to put like um, signs and towers and, and little signs in hotels and businesses all across the place that had countdown timers on them. And they looked like this. I'm going to show you some pictures. You walk through the city and you see this, and they just say the Olympics are coming. That one's 571 days. It's just in a little shopping area. Big billboard stuff like that. 365 days until the Olympics are here. And somebody asked why they spent so much money doing this. And they said, well, here's why. Because we don't want time to get away from us. We want to be ready for the Olympics when the Olympics are here. And we don't want our buildings and we don't want our parks to be found not ready when all the people from all the world come to our city. We want all the building projects and and all the stadiums and all the stuff that we're putting together for the Olympics. We want them to be ready. So we're putting this timer up to remind everybody that the time is coming for the Olympics. And the whole city got behind us and it became this big thing as each day counted down. They went from well over 1,000 out of 10, 9, Eight, and they began to throw parties and celebrate as they got closer and closer and closer because they finished the work before the countdown timer was done. They stayed on track. And I was looking at this and I think, they got so excited over that and they had so many countdowns and so many timers to keep everything in front of them. And I think about like with me, college football season is right around the corner and I'm literally counting down the days and counting down the weeks for that. And for football season, to see if the Falcons are going to do something this year or rebuild for next year, you know. I get to see all that stuff. But we count down for these things. And I'm wondering 
for us as a church, is there a countdown timer somewhere in our spirit or in the back of our mind reminding us that Jesus is coming, reminding us that one day we're going to stand in front of God, and reminding us that time is short and we better prepare and we better be ready and we better be busy doing what God has called us to do. No wonder. Paul's telling Timothy, be ready. Be ready. And I, I like to imagine things sometimes. I imagine what the marriage supper of the Lamb is going to look like. You know, when we all get to heaven and all this business on earth is done, Jesus is going to throw a big party. I like my Jesus to party. Jesus is going to throw a big party. He's going to throw a big dinner party. And we're all invited. And I imagine what it's going to be like sitting at the table with all these people. And you know, we're sitting at this table and there's going to be Paul. There's going to be Timothy. There's going to be Peter. And there's going to be all these amazing people that have done so. David will be there. and Elijah, Elisha, Moses. All these amazing people from the Bible. And then all these people through history that have done so many amazing things for the kingdom of God. You, know, you think about um, people like William Tyndale who did so much work for the kingdom of God, was martyred, gave his life. These martyrs throughout history, people that gave their lives in the Colosseum in the early church that were killed by the animals and the swords of the gladiators. and That girl in the 90s who was killed at the shootings in Columbine when the gunman walked up to her and put the gun to her head and said, do you believe in Jesus? And she said, yes. People that gave so much and sacrificed so much, and missionaries, and Christians from China and Nigeria that are under so much persecution right now, who they find out you're a Christian, you're, you're thrown in jail, your whole family's put in jail, they're destroying churches in those areas, threatening and killing Christians. And these pastors of these churches who preach the word of God even though at any moment they're going to go to jail. Sooner or later somebody's going to rat them out or word's going to spread because the church is going to get so big it can't be hidden anymore. And So they get put in these prisons and their fingernails and toenails pulled out and bones broken and tortured just because of their faith, just because of Jesus, just because they love him and they want to serve him and they think the gospel being spread is worth the price that they're paying and the sacrifice that's going on in their lives. You know, look at all those people sitting at that table, and I don't know what the conversation is going to be like, but I wonder what it would be like if the conversation started and they started sharing what they had done for the glory of God and to show their love for Jesus and to reach other people. And then they looked at me and said, tell us your story. Tell us the price that you paid for Jesus. Tell us how your suffering brought glory to the kingdom of God. Tell us how you were ready and gave it all for him. And I wonder what kind of answer I would have. I wonder what kind of answer you would have in a moment like that. For a lot of people, the story would go, well, somebody wrote some really mean stuff about me on Facebook. And it really tested my faith. And I didn't know if I was going to go back to church or even have anything to do with God anymore because somebody in a church wrote something that wasn't nice about me. 
really. Well, I went to church three weeks one month in a row. I paid an awesome price for the kingdom of God. I wondered, would I have something? Because I'm not trying to guilt you, but I'm trying to get you to think. It's like I was thinking, what would I say? What would I do? What would I have to offer? How am I living my life? Am I ready for those moments? Am I living my life ready to be to do what God's telling me to do in season and out of season. And this is what Paul's getting across to Timothy. Listen, in view of eternity, be ready, boy. Be ready for what life is going to throw at you. Be ready to pay the price. Be ready to step up. Be ready to do what God has called you to do. After he says be ready, and he's challenging there, he, he says, I'm telling you to be ready because not everybody is going to be. In verse 3 in this chapter, he starts back up again, and he says, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine, but instead to suit their own desires. You know what that means, right? To suit their own desires. That means they're going to be selfish. That means they're going to be inwardly focused. That means everything is going to be about them. He says they'll gather around them, Great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Everybody scratch your ear for a second. Just scratch. Some of y'all, that's probably helping you out because your ear's been itching forever and you didn't want people to think you were digging in your ear, so you have to wait. I'm helping you out here. You're just scratching. They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to miss. You know, craziest things about COVID over the last 18 months Churches across America have seen one-third of churchgoers stop going to church, period. No online, no small groups, no home groups, no occasional Bible studies, no going to church anymore. Just dropped off the map, stopped going. I wonder why. Because an opportunity presented itself for them to step over into the selfishness they were already headed towards. Now, during this season, I've had so many petty things brought up to me, and I'm not picking at anybody or complaining. I'm trying to make a point, though. When people say they love the church and they feel called here and they're passionate about what God is doing and they know they're going to be a part of it, and the next week they come in and say that they're leaving because they feel like they have a better chance of meeting women at other places, it tells you where their priorities are. Pastor Josh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna not come because you don't talk about politics enough in your message. And this group over here, Pastor Josh, we're going to be leaving because you talk about politics too much in your message. Well, we think the church should be open. You should have opened it earlier. We think the church should still be closed and you should be making everybody aware. Differences of opinion because everybody is so flipping selfish and caught up with themselves and they have lost sight of the greater mission of the kingdom of God I get complaints because I don't preach about certain causes enough well you should every week you should be bringing this to the forefront and bringing this to the attention of people and I'm tell you I'm not ever going to do that I'm going to preach the word of God full circle without compromise without opinion without any kind of watering down and I'm not going to elevate a cause above the blood of Jesus Christ. Jesus died to solve the causes. That's the focus of the church. It's the focus of the church. Itching ears. 
And so not just this church, other churches. I got pastor friends that say, man, I don't know what's happened. People are jumping to other churches because they've had time to sit online and listen to other pastors and they like what they're saying better than they are at my church and I don't get it. And I counsel these pastors, look, look, just do what God has called you to do and let the dust settle and then you keep doing what God has called you to do. You know? Paul says, people are going to be selfish and I want you to be ready so that you don't fall into that group. And he carries on in verse 5 and he says, but you, keep your head in all situations. Everybody say, but you. He says, but you, keep your head in all situations. Everybody's going to be doing this, Timothy, but you don't do it. You don't do it. Everybody's going to become selfish. A lot of people are going to become selfish. Don't mess up and get caught up in that whirlwind. But you keep your head in all situations. You keep your focus where it needs to be. He says, endure hardship and do the work of an evangelist. Tell people about Jesus. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. And I've read that for so many years, and I thought that Paul was just encouraging Timothy to, to follow through with all the duties of his ministry and to be diligent and, and to be a good overseer and administrator of the ministries that God had called him to, to be a responsible leader, to discharge all the duties of the ministry. And that's part of what Paul is saying to Timothy here. And I did a little bit of digging, and here's what I found out. While he's saying to administer and be responsible, he's also saying to discharge while you do that just like you would pull back a bow and let go of the arrow and it discharges the arrow and sends it downfield. Or you go to a gun range and you pull out your gun and pow, 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 you send a few rounds towards the target. You're discharging your firearm and you're sending that round down to the target and the casing's ejected out. What he's saying is administer and be responsible and Empty yourself into the ministries. To pour yourself out completely into the ministry. To not hold anything back is what he's telling you. Don't just do it well for a season. Do it well to the best of your ability and don't leave anything in the tank. Pour it all out. Pour it all out. And then he, he echoes what he just said in verse 6, and he says, for I'm already, Paul says, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. Pour it out. Paul said, I spent my life and my ministry pouring myself out before God. Pouring out the messages, pouring out the prayer, pouring out in moments of persecution. I was pouring out in seasons when I was shipwrecked. I poured myself out like an offering to God. And he's telling Timothy the same thing. Look, son, pour it all out. Don't hold anything back. Pour out the healing. Pour out the ministry. Pour out your heart. Let go of that hurt and pour everything out. Pour everything that you are into the ministry that God has called you to. Somebody say, pour it out. Pour it out. You got to pour it all out. You got to pour it out. Don't hold anything back. Pour everything out. Because Jesus gave everything 
for you. And I was thinking about that. I thought, man, that is so powerful. And that's how we should live our lives to pour everything out. And I was thinking, you know, some of us have trouble with that, though. Because we'll go to pour everything out, but the problem is, like you'll see here, is this bottle full? It's only partially full. And there's so many of us that live our lives like this, where we've got a little bit that we'll pour out, but we haven't let God have the opportunity to fill us up completely so that we can pour everything out. We don't have enough room. See, we've got the rest of this bottle filled up with our jobs. We've got the rest of this bottle filled up with the distractions in the life. And I don't have to tell you where that distraction is. Right now, you're probably thinking about it. It takes the place of the space that God wants to fill up so that you can pour everything out. So we say, look, God, I'm pouring everything out. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm serving a little bit. I'm doing this. I'm giving what I can. I'm, I'm doing this, Lord. I'm pouring. I'm pouring. I'm pouring. I'm pouring. But it's not what we could be doing for the kingdom of God if we would just give him the place that he's asking for and operate from the perspective of eternity and find ourselves being ready for what he's asking us to do in season and out of season instead of being distracted by what's going on in this life and in this world pour everything out instead of allowing space to be taken up by junk that doesn't matter. And then we got another group, and I'll be honest with you, I was this one for so long. Full of potential. Full of promise. And even full of a relationship with God. But every time the time came to pour something out, I couldn't. Because I was capped by unresolved issues in my life. And I would go to do things and I could never get past the hurt in my life. I could never get past the pastors that had done things to me, almost destroy me spiritually and I couldn't get past the words that were said and I couldn't get past the, the junk that was said to me in my childhood made me feel like I was always going to be a loser and always be the dumbest one in class and was never going to be able to accomplish anything in my life and there's a lot of us that are like this right now still and you've got so much potential and you've got so much inside of you but you've got so much capping you and keeping you from stepping into everything that God has called you to be. And I want to encourage you today, listen, take the lid off. Okay, take the lid off. I know it's a hokey illustration, but take the lid off. Let God take that lid off today and begin to pour everything out. Listen to me, forgive them. Forgive them for what they did. Forgive them for what they did. Let go of the hurt. Let go of the lies. I want you to let go of the lie that the enemy's been selling you, telling me that you cannot do what God says that you can do. You can do what God says you can do. Let go of the lies and begin to pour everything out. Pour it out. Pour it out. Well, Pastor Josh, I'm not a preacher like you. I'm not a minister like you. Listen to me. Pour it out. Find someone to love. Find a need and fill it. Get busy trying to live and apply the word of God where you are right now and begin to pour it out. I'm talking to somebody this morning because this is you. You've had all the potential. You've had all the promises. You've had the opportunity, but you have not yet stepped into the potential that God's put inside of you. And I want to encourage you today. Listen, pour it out. 
Pour it out. Give it all over to him. Don't hold anything back. Don't let anything hinder you. Let go of the past. Let him break the chains. Step into the calling that he's put on your life. Pour it all out. Don't hold anything back from God. Pour it out. Pour it out. Paul says, Timothy, pour it out. Pour it out. And then he reminds him why. He said, listen, verse 7, he said, look, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. What an awesome statement to be able to say that. What an awesome, wouldn't you love to be able to say at the end of your life, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. I didn't quit. I didn't tap out. I didn't give up. I didn't hold anything back. I used all my gifts and talents. I didn't just sit on one. I used every gift that God gave me and poured it all out for him. And he says, here's why. He says, now in verse 8, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. Not only me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Timothy, don't forget that this is worth it. This is worth it. You're going to get a reward in heaven that no man can take away from you. There's treasure in heaven waiting for you. Pour it all out. Pour it all out. And I love this because this is the same crown that Paul's talking about here. This is the same crown that's mentioned in the book of Revelation. My Bible says we're going to take the crowns that will be given and we're going to cast them down at the feet of Jesus. Say, no, this isn't about us. This is about you. This is all for you. Just putting a reminder in there. Say, listen, life is too short. Focus on eternity. Be ready, because not everybody's going to be. And you've got to stay focused and keep your head straight. Pour everything out and don't hold anything back. Just remember, there is a reward waiting for you in heaven. It is all for him. And I don't know about you. I love fighting a good fight. I, I love running the race and finishing. I love keeping the faith. But one thing I really look forward to is looking Jesus in the eyes and hearing, you did good. You did good. Come on in, good and faithful servant. I want to please him. And Paul writes a little bit more, and he talks about this guy named Demas. He talks about how Demas abandoned him because he loved the world. And I've seen way too many Demases in life. Now, how do you get there? How does that even happen? How, how, how do you start running the race and experience Jesus and then the fire of passion dim inside of you and, I figure enough hurt and enough life can put any fire out if you don't know how to continually stoke it and keep it going. Paul finished his race. He's encouraging Timothy to finish his race. Demas tapped out part of the way through and never finished. And I want to tell you, listen, I get it. You guys watching at home right now, look, I get it because I've been there. I've had the life happen. And I've had the issues happen. Almost take the breath out of you. 
leave you in seasons of your life where you feel like you can't catch your breath and you're constantly carrying that weight on your shoulders and you can't shake it off. And here, you got a guy like me who's talking about live for eternity and do great things for God and pour everything out and you did everything that you could do just to get out of bed this morning. I'll let you know I get it. I'll let you know that God gets it too. He gave me this word today for you. He gave me this word today for the people in here to encourage you, to build you up, to challenge you, but to also help you get back up too. Everybody talks about finishing the race, but not a lot of people talk about the struggles that come during the race. attacks of the enemy and the words of others and all the pressure and things that we have to deal with and this is why Jesus said hey cast all your cares on me let me carry that stuff for you I was thinking of this Olympic story that became so popular years and years ago talking about Olympics because the Olympics are happening right now this guy in Barcelona prepared for years for this one race and the gun goes off and he starts running the race and I've got a video of it I want to not just tell you but show you and you guys watching online the race is going and in the middle of the race he tears his hamstring and he goes lame and all the other runners just leave him you ever felt like that in life where people were just leaving you while you were dealing with the injury He's on the ground and everybody else is running. The race is over. He's not going to win. And he's got to decide whether or not to stay down or not. And he decides to get back up and gut it out and try to finish the race, even with a torn hamstring. And you can see how much pain he's in right now. You know, sometimes life is like that where you got to just get back up and work through what you're going through. And in the middle of his pain, his dad sees that he's suffering. And immediately his dad comes out of the stands fights through security and grabs him and begins to help him. And I want to tell you, listen, your heavenly father will move heaven and earth to come to you in seasons like this. He can't do it on his own strength now. His father is walking with him. I got you, son. I got you, son. And security comes and tries to separate the two of them. The dad says, no, I ain't having that. He says, get away from me. Just get out of here. Get out of here. This is my child. This is my child. I'm walking with him right now this became such a powerful story because the father wouldn't leave his son alone on the track and they come again and say try to separate him and the father just says nah 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 listen I want to challenge you listen you might feel like that today you might feel like you're on the track by yourself and I'm telling you your heavenly father in heaven has not given up on you he will not give up on you he is committed to you and he's not just going to say finish this race and pour it all out he's going to come to you and be your strength when you don't have strength he's going to come to you and walk with you when you're hamstrung and can't finish on your own he comes to you he comes to you to you when you feel like you can't take another step cry out to God and he's your strength why because we've got a lot to do in this life and we need you in this race we need you You know pastor Josh I'm not that important you are that important 
You are that important. You're important enough for Jesus to die for. And for no other reason, that makes you invaluable. We need you. We need you. We need you. Listen, for some of us, it's time to get back up. For some of us, it's time to cry out to God and allow Him to help us through the season that we're in. For some of us, we need a reminder to get our focus back on where it needs to be and focus on eternity. To get our eyes off of ourselves and forget about what we think we need and step back from the lie of society that says life has to be all about you and remember what the gospel says. We are not our own anymore. We were bought with a price. We belong to Jesus Christ. Our life is now hidden in Him. And it is on us to pour ourselves out every day to be used by Him and to glorify Him and leave nothing in the tank as we serve Him. Pour it all out. To pour it all out. Everybody say pour it out. To pour it out. To pour it out. I want to challenge you today, listen, to get back in the game, to get back in the race, to get back up, to get that focus where it needs to be. Listen to me, Eastgate Church, pour it all out. You guys at home, pour it all out. Don't hold anything back. Don't hold anything back. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. A couple of questions this morning first question is this how's your relationship with Jesus because none of this other stuff that we're talking about really matters if we don't have that is Jesus really Lord and Savior of your life do you have that relationship with him not did you pray some kind of prayer when you were in Sunday school as a kid or even two years ago or even three months ago is that relationship current today is he really on the throne of your heart is he really the one in control if you're here today and you say Jesus is not really Lord and Savior of your life but you want him to be see the good news is we can make that decision and make that change any day that we want to any minute that we want to you don't have to wait till later you can do it now Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. If you know that your walk with God and your relationship with Jesus isn't where it needs to be, but you want to make a change and make it so today. When I count to three, I want you to lift your eyes up and look at me. Heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around in this place. Here we go. If it's you, one, two, three. Lift them up and look at me. See yours. See yours. Praise God. Praise God, if you haven't lifted your eyes yet, you know you need to lift them up and look at me. It's awesome. That is awesome. Let's all stand to our feet this morning.